0: Hello and welcome to 15 Minutes in Hell. I'm Ed Zitron. Today I'm joined by Molly White. She's a cryptocurrency critic, research fellow at Harvard Library Innovation Lab, and the creator of Web3 is going great. How are you doing, Molly?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Doing great. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your day-to-day work. I know you predominantly is a crypto critic.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my day to day work. Um, I, you know, I run the website. Web3 is going just great. So I spend a lot of my time following crypto news and, you know, learning about what needs to go on that site. I also write a newsletter that keeps up with, you know, general crypto news. Um, and so, you know, I keep up with the broader lawsuits and things like that so that I can inform people on that. And then I do a fair bit of research into um, sort of the goals of crypto, Web3 and all those adjacent things, um, just to sort of understand what people are trying to do, why they're trying to do it with blockchains and why that's often not such a good idea.
0: How did you find yourself falling into this?
1: Um, Well, it kind of started towards the end of 2021 when Web3 was getting huge. Um It was this new buzzword. People were really excited about crypto because prices were really high. And I was just seeing a lot of reporting about how people were getting so wealthy and this was something that you should think about investing in, quote unquote. Um, and it felt like no one was really paying attention to what was actually happening in the crypto world, um, you know, about how a lot of the promises that were being made about Web3 were like extremely uh, far off if, you know, impossible to actually achieve. Um, and, you know, people were actually getting really hurt by their involvement in the crypto world where they would get scammed or hacked or, you know, things would go terribly wrong. And that was getting no attention so I just started kind of keeping track of what was happening, you know, and and the the sort of less shiny exciting headlines about what was happening to people. Um and that eventually turned into the web3 is going just great project.
0: So it's been over 10 years. Are there any useful things in cryptocurrency?
1: Uh, it's been great for ransomware. Um, the the <laughs> ransomware folks are having a Criminals. wonderful time with it. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think that there is sort of a small subset of things that blockchains can do. You know, if you're really looking for something that is censorship resistant, for example. Um, but the broad sort of Uh, umbrella of things that people say that should be done with blockchains are generally not actually well solved with the technology. Um, And very few things actually require the types of uh, qualities that blockchains bring, and often the downsides of blockchains far outweigh any benefits. So, You know, I think that you could point to one-off use cases where, you know, a blockchain would be an interesting solution or where blockchains have benefited people. Um, But broadly speaking, they are not this exciting panacea or future of the web or whatever the boosters really want to sell to you.
0: Why do you think it captivated so many people then?
1: Money. <laughs> I mean, when people see Bitcoin prices soaring, and they read stories about people who just put $10 in, or they, you know, set up a laptop, and they mined some Bitcoin 10 years ago, and now they're millionaires, that really gets people going. And um I think there was also a really sort of it was a good time for the crypto story. You know, with the pandemic, people were bored. You could trade crypto on your phone. A lot of people were facing economic uncertainty. You know, they lost their jobs. Uh, some people had extra cash sitting around because of pandemic, uh, you know, stipends pretty much. And so it was just a good time for crypto. You know, they, they really preyed on people's fears and, you know, the hopes that they could – get themselves out of a bad financial situation, um, you know, by speculating on a very risky, volatile asset.
0: Do you think these people at the top, and I don't even mean Sam Bankman-Fried, I mean the Winklevosses, for example, (laughs) those ones who didn't directly scam people, but definitely pulled them into a predatory investment vehicle, do you think you can compare them to Bernie Madoff?
1: To some extent. I mean, I think that a lot of these people probably should have realized that what they were selling had nothing really behind it. You know, there there was no revenue stream, there was no reason that crypto prices should keep going up forever, aside from just the hopes that, you know, somehow the public attention span would continue to, uh, you know, remain focused on crypto. And so, The volatility of the crypto markets was sort of ignored or or at least glossed over by groups like the Winklevoss twins who were really selling crypto to average people as though it was an investment. You know, it was something that you should actually put a significant amount of money into. Some schemes were telling people to actually put retirement funds into it. Um, and I think a lot of people really should be held to account for that because that's not the type of marketing that would be, you know, responsible. It's like saying that you should take your retirement funds and, you know, put it all on black or something like that.
0: Well, I, I actually take personal offense to that because the beautiful roulette tables of my home city of Las <laughs> Vegas would never be so unkind. Uh, but it, it it is true, though. It feels almost as if people are being conned into entering a casino even some of the real zealot types the nft heads who are now suffering do you feel any sympathy for them even even though at the time they were saying things like have fun staying poor and so on
1: (laughs) i do i mean i think a lot of people were taken for a ride and the um Toxicity of the crypto world was very contagious. It was fun, you know, when your NFT wallet made it look like you were a paper, you know, rich person that, you know, you could gloat a little bit and tell all the naysayers that they were wrong and that they would be poor forever because they didn't jump on the boat, you know, when you did. Um, that's, you know, I think that's attractive to people. It's fun to, to gloat and, you know, be sort of, um, proud of what you think you've accomplished. But, you know, I think that a lot of people really did buy the the stories that were being told, even though there wasn't really much to back them up. Um, You know, people, the the NFT story, for example, was very compelling to people, it, you know, they were being told that this is how they could support the artists that they loved. Um, You know, they could avoid the types of fees that intermediaries take for, you know, musicians, for example, you don't have to Uh, think about spotify taking a big cut or whatever it might be you know they could get resale royalties um that was all really compelling to some people beyond just the speculative you know investment that they were making um and so when a lot of that stuff turned out to be sort of hollow promises i think a lot of people were surprised you know they they truly believed in what they were being told
0: do you think crypto would have had as strong a hold if america had a stronger safe social safety net
1: To some extent. I mean, I think a lot of the behavior that we saw during the crypto hype bubble was driven by desperation. Um, You know, interest rates were really low, people felt like it was challenging to invest their money into things that would provide them the type of returns they felt like they needed. Um, You know, it was challenging to find a job that was paying adequately, rents really high, student loans are really high, you know, people have a lot of debt and so they felt like you know the only way to get out of a bad financial situation was to you know take a huge risk in hopes of that huge return um because you know just working hard and hoping for a raise was not getting them the types of um income that they really needed and so i think if people were not feeling that type of desperation if they felt like you know they had support that they would be able to pay for emergencies or cover their medical bills or whatever it might be. I think that, you know, there would be less of that desperation driving the type of risky investment that we saw. Um, you know, I think I think the motivations for getting into crypto are are very varied. Uh and so some people were definitely just, you know, looking for the moonshot, you know, wanting to make it big. It wasn't driven by any sort of fear. But I think there is a subset of people that are often overlooked when we talk about the crypto world who were doing it because they felt like they had no other choice.
0: Who do you think the real villains are then in the crypto industry?
1: I think a lot of it comes down to the people running the projects and who are making those promises that were really not backed by any truth. Um, I think venture capitalists have a lot to account for in the crypto world, where they were, you know among the top people evangelizing these projects, you know, we saw them going on podcasts and talking about how everything on the web was going to be supplanted by blockchains and, you know, this is the future of finance and get in now so you don't get left behind and then making these huge um, returns from their investments often off the backs of retail investors. So, you know, I think there's a lot of blame to go around, but the people leading the projects and the people selling this asset class as though it was something that, you know, lay people should be getting involved with, as though it was an actual investment, and not a very risky speculative asset class, I think are the people who really need to be held to account. And then I think there's some blame to go around for regulators as well, who are very slow to get involved, you know, I think they were a little afraid of pulling the plug while the party was going strong, um, and didn't step in when they probably should have.
0: Can you think of any specific people or projects that are the most egregious ones?
1: I mean, I think Celsius really comes to mind. Um, So Celsius was a crypto uh, lending project. They marketed themselves to customers as though they were a bank. They were telling people that they were better than banks, they were safer than banks, they provided these huge returns. Um, They were really targeting people who were not that sort of prototypical crypto bro moonshot boy you know they were looking for people who were feeling that type of desperation i already described and they were lying just completely egregiously according to what we're now seeing playing out in court um about how they were actually handling people's funds you know the types of investments that they were making and they lost a lot of people a lot of money
0: um how do you feel about Sam Bankman-Fried, though? Do you think that he is a mastermind or a dipshit?
1: Um, I think probably closer to the dipshit than the mastermind. He was definitely very effective at portraying himself as, you know, the boy genius. Um, And I think he was, you know, I I don't buy the story that he was just this rube who didn't know what was happening and got in over his head. I don't think he was that kind of dipshit. Um, (laughs) But I also don't think that he was, you know, pulling the puppet strings on this very elaborate fraud and, you know, getting away with it. A lot of what we're seeing coming out in the court documents shows someone who was fairly incompetent at the types of things he was at least trying to do. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of what fell apart can sort of be blamed on that. Um, You know, I think if he was a mastermind, the scheme probably would have continued going for a bit longer than it did.
0: He almost reminds me of Ryan Holiday's book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, in the sense that he learned the mechanisms to pull more than he actually was doing anything substantive. Would you agree? (sighs)
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of what he actually did was sort of trading on influence. You know, he portrayed himself to be this absolute crypto mastermind. Um, He got a lot of people to invest in him personally, you know, huge venture capital firms like Sequoia, for example, um, when what was actually happening behind the scenes was very rickety. And, you know, not particularly well implemented as far as we can tell. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of it was more about the cult of personality rather than about his actual abilities. I mean, I'm, you know, he's, he's clearly a, a capable person. You know, he has a degree from a prestigious university, you know, he, things like that. But um, I don't think he was the mastermind crypto trader that he was portraying.
0: Do you have any hope for blockchain at all?
1: Uh, I mean, I hope that it sort of goes away. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think the technology itself is very uninteresting. It's not terribly compelling. You know, it's it's interesting, at least from an academic perspective, in the sense that, like, oh, that's kind of cool. And it's it's fun to study and, and look into. But as far as its actual applications and the the useful things that can be done with it, I have very little hope for it. You know, there's a lot of better technologies out there, many of which have been around for a very long time. Um, And so the types of things that you actually need blockchains for are often the, the things that are not actually socially very beneficial. You know, it's like uh, evading regulators and, you know, doing very uh, sort of shady transactions and things like that, which like, you know, there are uses to that. There are sometimes times where it's beneficial to be able to do that, but you can't build a whole industry on that. And that's not going to be the future of finance. You know, it's those edge cases that are, are useful to be able to, you know, send someone a transaction when the powers that be actually want to get in the way of that. Um, which again, there are sometimes very legitimate reasons to want to do that, but it is not the future of finance, the future of the web, the future of everything that we know and love.
0: Molly, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: This has been 15 minutes and how you can find us at where's your ed dot at slash podcast. Join us on the where's your ed at discord chat where's dot at. And of course, where's dot at for the newsletter as well. Thank you for listening, everyone. This has been 50 minutes in hell.